Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. The living Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for being present here with us this morning. By the power of your own living presence, you come and lift our hearts, open our minds, grasp a hold of us, And so embrace us that your very life-giving spirit fills us with joy and anticipation and a living hope. So whatever we now feel as we come into your presence, having sung of you, to hear from your word, Take my lips, Lord Jesus, and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills, Lord Jesus, and bend them to your own. And as we have already considered, Lord, please take our hearts and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your namesake. Amen. Well, one more Easter sunrise service. And to think that there is a living Lord Jesus here with us, who walks amongst us, who comes to visit with us. He knows who we are, comes to us personally. It's an amazing thing for me me to be able to stand here and say these words to you, I was not raised with any knowledge of what I've just said. And Easter, for me, as a lad growing up in England, was all about Easter eggs and Easter bunnies made of chocolate. I had no idea that the Christian faith absolutely stood with any kind of credibility on the resurrection of Jesus, that is, his coming to life again after he had been crucified. I knew that he'd been crucified. You couldn't miss that in England. There were crosses everywhere, some of them with Jesus still impaled upon the cross, an image you couldn't miss. I knew that on Good Friday, Jesus had died. And for 16 years of my life, I did not know that three days after they killed him, he walked from the grave alive. I didn't know it. And when a man, a young man, shared that with me, it was a revelation that Jesus was alive. Now, over the years since then, I've come to discover the overwhelming evidence that this absolutely central cardinal monolithic statement that Jesus rose again from the dead has so many credible historical 
supports that it outweighs any skepticism if you would but take a look at the evidence. And just one or two pieces can I consider with you this morning. The passage read for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the resurrection was written and sent in 52 AD. Now even the most skeptical of scholars, we have many skeptical scholars of New Testament writings. But all the skeptical scholars agree on two things. One, that Paul wrote this epistle, this letter, to the first, which we call 1 Corinthians, a letter to the Corinthians. We call it 1 Corinthians because there is a second letter that came later. They agree that Paul wrote it, and they agree that the dating of that letter is somewhere between 52 and 55 A.D. Now, just for simple math, let's make it 53, because that is 20 years after Jesus died. We measure time in the West from the birth of Jesus. He died at age 33, therefore 33 AD. If Paul wrote this letter in 53 AD, that's 20 years only after the death and resurrection of Jesus. How often do you hear it said that these scriptures were written so long after the events that they're clouded in myth and sort of hearsay and make-believe. Not so. 20 years only between the death of Jesus and Paul sending this letter. But Paul had already been to Corinth several years before. That's why he's writing to them. He went to Corinth and preached about this living Jesus. In fact, chapter 15 actually begins with these words. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So he's looking back several years to when he visited Corinth. So what he's writing here, he's already preached to them. And if you just take it for simple, easy reckoning at this time of the morning, say three years before, then instead of being 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, it's actually, say, 17 years. But Paul was not converted at the time of the resurrection. Several years later, and while it's not clear how many years, you can pick a number like three or four or five years. But when you add that from the time of his conversion to the time of his preaching in Corinth, it's not even 20 years. It's somewhere closer to 15 and maybe closer to 10. 
This is not some sort of hearsay. Can you remember 15 years back? Some of you can remember when we started this church. That was 25 years ago. I'd like to dedicate this sermon to one of those men. Frank, Frank Melnick, who just went home to be with the Lord Jesus. The COVID disease and the preceding threats to Frank's life brought an end to his life here on earth. But Frank is home with Jesus. And he was one of the founding members. And we talked often about the early days preceding even the beginning of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We go back about 50 years when his wife invites me to come and have dinner with them. And I ask him the question at dinner, what on earth are you doing for the Lord, Frank Melnick? Well, he, <laughs> he was struck almost dumb. He didn't know he had to do anything for the Lord. And that was the beginning of his journey to coming to faith in a Jesus who loved him enough to die for him. And it's a shame he's not here to tell that story, but I'm thrilled to tell it for you because when he died, that was just the end of his body. Frank is home with Jesus. And I remember graphically these instances I'm talking to you about, just like I remember my marriage. Kathy and I were married over 50 years ago. I can remember what we wore. I can remember after our marriage, we stopped at a Howard Johnson's. We've actually taken a couple of our daughters when they were little to that Howard Johnson's and said, this is where mummy and daddy sat right after they were married and had a cup of hot chocolate together we actually stopped and pulled around the back of Howard Johnson's and got the balloons and the rice and all the stuff that had messed up our car so that we could drive off in innocence that is not declaring newly married over 50 years ago that is graphically clear in my mind so Paul in recounting the death and resurrection of Jesus is so close to those events. But one other thing that needs to be said, Paul himself met the living Jesus. He was converted to Christ, as we have speculated, maybe three, four, five years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was absolutely committed to the extinction of anything that looked like the gospel and the message that Jesus was alive. He stood at the execution, the martyrdom of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, the first man to die for his belief in Jesus as a living savior. And Paul was absolutely committed. In those days, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was on his way to Damascus from Jerusalem along a road that I have since traveled. And along that road, Jesus met him, struck him down from his horse, and in blinding light took away Paul's sight. 
And a voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the answer, Jesus, whom you, it is Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And his response is, what would you have me do, Lord? And that's all recounted in the Acts of the Apostles, an earlier writing, documentation of what we're considering here this morning. And Saul of Tarsus, in one flashing moment, had to revisit all his theology, all his persecution of the followers of Jesus, what his life was about, what his destiny was, what he really believed. And before he arrived in Damascus, he was born again, a new man. That man is the author of this text. And for just those two reasons, how close it is to the event of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and secondly, because he, the most powerful opponent to that in his day, met Jesus, was converted, and became the most extraordinary proponent of the gospel, so that nearly all the New Testament is written by him. Letters to the various places where he went and preached the gospel. And so it was at Corinth. But he does speculate with them. We heard read for us these words. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, just in this life, not for an eternity, not for after the grave, just as a, as a model, as a way to live, as an example of godly living. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Paul is saying, the gospel is not about just trying to be good and following the example of Christ. The gospel is about a living Savior who so comes and takes possession of us that we are born again, made new spiritually, and our home is in heaven when we die. And when he grasped that, it transformed him. And then when he speculates with some who were saying that there is no resurrection, there's no life after death, he says, if that's the case, we're pitiful. That just reminds me very quickly, down south where I've done a lot of ministry and where one of our daughters now lives, those southerners have a way of talking about you when they are sort of trying to be benevolent though you're being pathetic, they say, for instance, ain't she pitiful? And just the way the Southerners say that, ain't she pitiful? You say, who is this poor person she's talking about? But they often say, ain't she pitiful? Bless her heart. But what they're really doing is saying, she is pitiful. 
Paul here is saying, if that's all you're up to, is believing Jesus as an example and his moral teaching and a way to live, you're pitiful. The gospel is about a living Jesus who we put our trust in and our faith in. And that living Jesus is present here with us. When Paul speculates about Jesus not being raised from the dead, listen to these other words that were read for us. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep, that is, who have died, they're lost. So it's in that context that Paul says, if it's for this life only we've hoped in Christ, we're of all men most to be pitied, because we're still in our sins. Death of Jesus on the cross wasn't for our sins. In fact, I would say this, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, you would not know that he had died on a cross. You wouldn't know him. The only reason you know about him is because he rose from the dead. And the explanation of his death on the cross is that he did die for our sins, so that thereby we are forgiven when we come and put our trust in him. What a gift. Forgiveness. To leave behind all the rottenness and corruption and failure of the past. When we bear that and hang on to that and it takes a hold of us, it destroys us. Most people counseling those who are in depression and empty and feeling lost with no hope. Those being counseled are dealing with all the failures and emptiness of their life. And without Jesus, that's the way it is. But a living Jesus comes in, forgives us, makes us new and transforms us. So as he said, I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness which gives a hope and an optimism. And beyond this life, not just the joy of living in this life with the gift of eternal life, but the hope of heaven, because he lives. As we have just sang, sung, because he lives. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I know who holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. I want to put that hymn in context for my life and my wife's life sitting here with us. A number of years ago, another church where I pastored on an Easter Sunday morning, the choir had a later service than this one, sang that very hymn, Because He Lives. Well, my wife and I had just lost a little boy. You may know that we have four daughters, one of whom is adopted. But in those days, we had two daughters and were expecting a third child who turned out to be this little boy we named Jonathan, who died in Kathy's womb in the last... 24 hours of gestation 
through a medical oversight. So little Jonathan was born dead. My wife was blind for any number of days following the loss of Jonathan. And she was in the hospital desperately ill. And while she was there, blind, and though she didn't know it, fighting for her life, she had a vision. She saw Jesus. And this was the situation. The girl who became our adopted daughter came into our lives because her mother was dying of cancer when her dad died of a stroke. These were friends of ours and members of our church life together. And when I visited the mother of Susu, who became our daughter, when I visited her, the mother, while she was dying, she said, I have a favor to ask of you. When I die, will you take Susu to be your daughter? I asked her who she wanted to live with when I died, if you can imagine that conversation. And she said, if you send me to live with Unki, that was an uncle, she said, I'll run away. So her mother said, well, who do you want to live with? And she said, John and Kathy Guest. And at age 16, Susu came into our family. And the very weekend, it's hard to imagine the, the co-relationship of these events, but the very weekend that we were celebrating via a memorial service, the death of Susu's mother was the same weekend that we lost Jonathan. And Kathy's vision was this. Susu's mother, along with another man who had already died, Bob Crock. Susu's mother and Bob Crock came to Kathy and the mother was holding Jonathan. And she said to Kathy, you take care of Susu. I'll take care of Jonathan. And Kathy said when she had that vision, she turned over and in the depth of her sorrow and tears and loss, she had a complete peace. And when she shared that with me, I was overwhelmed. And on that Sunday morning, back in that other church, as the choir sang, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future life is worth the living just because he lives. And that Sunday morning, I had the vision in my mind before I got to the pulpit to preach as I am now, of little Jonathan running up to me in heaven and saying, Daddy. The first time I will ever hear him say, Daddy, will be in heaven, in glory. Why do I have that hope?
because Jesus is alive. And that same Jesus is alive here. And whatever grief or pain or loss or guilt or despair you may be here with this morning, you bring that to Jesus, to him, the living Jesus, and let him fill you with the hope of glory, the joy of heaven, and that peace which passes all human understanding. Let's bow our heads and pray. O Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope of heaven, the gift of eternal life. And this morning as we celebrate you being alive, alive, Lord Jesus, loving us as much today as when you died for us, as much as when you walked from the grave alive, as much as whenever it was in the past or may even this be this morning that you came into our lives and eradicated all the failure and loss and dismal guilt of the past and gave us a new life and a new vision for our lives and a new hope beyond these lives that we live here. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise your name. We love you and thank you for this celebration. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.